Welcome back. My name is Christina and this is Cruel and Unusual. Tuesday. I have a horrible story for you today, as usual. Um, today's case is very unsettling. It's one of those wrong place at the wrong time kind of things, so it really just goes to show that this could happen to any one of us, and this could have been any one of us, so that makes it super scary to me that this girl we're going to talk about, this woman, she did nothing wrong and it cost her her life. So this is the gruesome murder of Jaina Murray, otherwise known as the Lululemon murder. Um, if you don't know what that is, that's a yoga store, a yoga apparel store. Um, trigger warnings for this episode, really, it, in it includes mentions briefly of sexual assault and, of course, murder. So, okay, let's get into it. County 911, what is the emergency? There's two people in the back of my store. One person seems dead and the other person is breathing. The manager of the store came in that morning and found the front door unlocked. The door was open this morning. I think one of my managers came in to open it. Someone tied her up. I need an ambulance right away. On the morning of March 12, 2011, in Bethesda, Maryland, Rachel, I think it's pronounced Ortley, Rachel Ortley, arrived to work around 8 a.m., where she works as the manager of a yoga store called Lululemon. She was scheduled to open the store that day, so she was pretty surprised when she got there and she noticed that the doors were already unlocked and all of the lights inside the store were left on. At first, she was a little annoyed because she just assumed that whoever closed the store the night before just didn't close up properly, left the doors open, left the lights on. However, when she entered the store, it was in complete disarray. There were things knocked over everywhere. There was actually one of their TVs that they had on the wall was on the floor and it was cracked. So it was it just looked like it was completely ransacked. Rachel called out and asked if anybody was there. Nobody replied, but she could hear faint groaning sounds coming from the back of the store. As soon as she heard that, Rachel ran outside and dialed 911. Next door to the Lululemon store was an Apple store. An Apple employee named Ryan Huff was just arriving to open his store when he heard Rachel outside on the phone sounding frantic. He came over to her to ask her if she was okay, and she told him what she just saw and what she heard inside and asked him if he would come back inside the store with her. So the two of them entered the front door of the Lululemon and Ryan headed to the back of the store to follow the sound. 
What he saw was a harrowing, horrible, horrible, disgusting scene. Blood was absolutely everywhere, covering the back of the store. It was on the ceiling. It went as high as six feet on the walls, dripping down the walls. Like it was everywhere. He made it further into the hallway in the back of the store and he saw the body of a woman lying face down in a pool of blood and another woman tied up in the bathroom right next to it. The woman he found in the bathroom was still alive and she was groaning in pain hoping somebody would hear her. Her hands were bound with zip ties above her head and he could clearly see that the yoga pants she was wearing were cut open at the bottom, you know, between her legs. Police arrived on the scene within a few minutes, and Officer Kristen Knuth was the first to enter the store. She found the body of Jaina Murray, an employee of the store, who was lying face down in the hallway. She was immediately pronounced dead. Jaina's yoga pants were also cut in the same spot as the other woman's, so it seemed to police right away that there was probably a clear motive of sexual assault here. Then the woman who was tied up in the bathroom was Brittany Norwood, another employee of the store. She was still alive and she was rushed to the hospital. So what the hell happened here? Let's talk about it. Jaina Murray was 30 years old at the time of her death. She was attending Johns Hopkins University, pursuing not one, but two master's degrees. She was brilliant. She was described by everyone who knew her as super adventurous and a thrill seeker through and through. She loved to skydive, bungee jump, rock climb. She also loved to go kayaking. She loved to dance. And of course, she loved to do yoga. She was working at Lululemon selling yoga apparel part-time while she attended school. Jaina sounds like she was an amazing woman, like full of life and just really loved life. She was five foot five and had beautiful, bright blonde hair. It's about shoulder length and she wore bangs. She was also in a healthy, loving relationship with her boyfriend named Fraser. She had two awesome, supportive parents and two younger brothers that she adored. Her boyfriend and her family actually lived in Seattle, Washington, while she was across the country in Maryland attending college. Brittany Norwood was 28 years old at the time, and she was one of nine children. She was also very athletic, just like Jaina, she loved soccer and, of course, yoga, bringing her to her job at Lululemon. Brittany grew up in a very loving and happy family by all accounts. So the two girls, they weren't friends. They were just acquaintances just because they worked together. You know, they were friendly co-workers. Um, both girls had worked the night of March 11th, 2011, and they were scheduled to close and lock up the store that night. When Brittany arrived at the hospital, Officer Deanna Mackey went inside with her to ask her her account of what happened so that they can get started on the investigation as soon as possible. 
Brittany told the officer that she and Jaina worked the closing shift last night. She said they both left the store around 9.45 p.m., but as Brittany was walking to the bus stop, she realized she forgot her wallet back inside the store. She quickly called Jaina from her cell phone to ask if she could meet her back at the store because Jaina had the keys. Jaina had just gotten to her car, so she drove up to the storefront and waited for Brittany. The two girls went inside the store so Brittany could get her wallet. It wasn't where she thought she had left it, so the two girls spent about 10 minutes looking for her wallet. They ended up not being able to find Brittany's wallet, so Jaina said, look, you can borrow my Metro card, at least just so you can get home, get it back to me the next time we work together, and worry about your wallet tomorrow. It's late, just go home. As the two girls were about to leave, two men wearing ski masks and all black clothing bust in through the doors. Brittany accounts that one man started immediately beating Jaina, and the second man dragged Brittany to the back of the store by her hair. That man began stabbing Brittany, cut open her pants, and raped her. Then this man demanded that Brittany open the cash register so he could collect all of the money. While this was happening, the other man was repeatedly stabbing Jaina. After the men got the money, they bound Brittany with zip ties and left her in the bathroom, and left Jaina sprawled out on the floor, leaving her to die. It was presumed that the men got away in Jaina's car, which was parked out in front of the store, but by the morning it was nowhere to be found. Police recall Brittany sobbing inconsolably. She was just a mess while telling this story and she kept repeating that this is all her fault, this would have never happened if she just didn't forget her wallet, if she just didn't lose her wallet, this would have never happened to us, this would have never happened to Jaina. An autopsy was done on Jaina's body and what they found is horrible, just so unthinkable, unimaginable that somebody could do this to another human being. Jaina was attacked using several different tools. There were markings found on her body that were consistent with a hammer, a wrench, a box cutter, a serrated knife. They said it was about eight to ten different tools that could have been used that night. Medical examiners counted over 230 blunt force injuries and 100 stab wounds at least. Her skull was cracked in eight places, and her face was unrecognizable due to all of the trauma. The injury that most likely killed Jaina was a three-inch deep stab wound to the back of her neck, which actually severed her spinal cord. So, in total, the medical examiners counted approximately 331 injuries inflicted on Jaina's body. It was also concluded that due to bruising and blood evidence, Jaina was likely alive for most of this attack. Over 100 of Jaina's injuries showed evidence of being defensive wounds. So she was alive and suffering through just about all of this horrible, brutal attack. 
Brittany, on the other hand, she was in pretty okay shape following the attack. The doctor working with her the morning of March 12th reported that all of Brittany's wounds were, quote, very superficial and minor. So it seems that Brittany made it out pretty unscathed from this whole thing. Now let's talk about the investigation. Obviously, the investigators first wanted to look at security cameras. There was only one camera positioned outside by the store. It was actually in front of the Apple store. They checked the footage and they could see two men wearing all black walking quickly through the frame around the time of the attack, so about 10 p.m. Although it was hard to tell if these were the exact men that had attacked Brittany and Jaina that night, police began looking for these two. Police were hanging out outside of the Lululemon. They were kind of staked out out there, watching for any suspicious activity or people, and they see these two same men walking by. They stopped them to question them about their whereabouts the previous night, and they told police that they're busboys at the restaurant a few doors down. Their alibi checked out. These two boys were actually working in the restaurant the night of the 11th. After that lead slipped through their fingers, police began to talk to employees from the Apple store to ask if they had seen anything or heard anything unusual the night of the attack. It turns out that at the time of the attack, there were three employees of the Apple store still working inside and closing up. I believe it was one woman and two men. These employees report that they heard the chaos going on inside the yoga store. They could hear it through the walls because the two stores shared a wall. There is actually security camera footage inside the Apple store of these employees with their ears pressed up against the wall, listening in on the attack. I'm going to put a screenshot of it on my Instagram because it is just so chilling. Knowing that these three fucking idiots were listening to this whole thing going on next door and they didn't do a thing about it. The Apple employees said that they heard banging going around next door, like it sounded like heavy things hitting the ground. They heard shouting. They just heard like a scuffle next door. Like they just heard chaos. One of the Apple Store employees stated that he could actually make out two distinct sentences when he was listening in through the wall. He said he could hear, quote, talk to me, don't do this, talk to me, what's going on? And, quote, God help me, please help me. So the police asked them, why the fuck did you not call the police about this? And they replied that, they just thought this was some argument going on between two girls at the Lululemon store. They just thought it was two girls, you know, getting into drama next door. So they ignored it and they went home. So police continued their investigation back at the crime scene. One thing that they thought was super weird though was the attackers didn't bring anything with them. The tools and the items that they used as weapons were all things that belonged to the store and they were found in the store. The hammer, the wrench, the box cutter, the knife, it was all property of the store. So 
were these men not planning on committing a crime like this? Like, they just showed up with nothing and just hoped that they would get lucky, which it looks like obviously they did. So that's a little weird. And another thing, police actually found Jaina's car, which was left in a parking lot a few blocks away, assuming the men had just dumped it there once they were finished. Inside the car were blood smears on the seats and the steering wheel, and it was confirmed to be Brittany's blood. But it was possible that the blood was transferred from the clothing of the attackers. Lastly, looking at the blood evidence, clear footprints can be seen tracking blood throughout the store. Investigators concluded that it was a size 14 men's sneaker that left these prints in blood, and it actually turns out the tread of the sneaker was an exact match of the size 14 men's Lululemon sneakers. So, okay, what I mean by this, Lululemon didn't sell men's sneakers, but they did sell men's clothing. So on the mannequins, they had sneakers. They had the mannequins wearing sneakers, men's sneakers. So it wasn't their brand of sneaker, but it was the kind that was in the store used on the walls and on the mannequins. So this wasn't really making sense to police either. Did these two guys come into the store, take their shoes off, put those shoes on, and then walk around? It's like, it's just not, it's just not adding up. So detectives decided to bring Brittany back into the station for further questioning, hoping that she can clear some of these things up. As Brittany sits down to talk with them, she says that she forgot to mention something. She said that she forgot to tell police that she was actually forced by the attackers to get in Jaina's car and move it out of sight and then come back. Because if you remember, Jaina's car was left parked outside in front of the store while they were just supposed to be running inside to grab the wallet. So, Brittany says that after she was attacked, but prior to the sexual assault, the men made her drive the car to a parking lot a few blocks away so it wouldn't draw attention to the store. They told her that if she didn't return within a few minutes, they would find her and they would kill her. So, she got into the car, covered in her own blood, drove it a couple blocks down the road, parked it, and walked back to the store. This is fucking bonkers nuts insane. So that explains why her blood is in the car, but I just, I can't fathom having that, like, sense of freedom, like, oh my god, I'm in a car, I can get away. I can go to the police, I can literally do anything but instead she parks it and walks her ass back to the store how would they know if you did like it just doesn't make sense so this is the part when detectives ask Brittany do you have something that you would like to get off your chest is there something that you're not telling us here 
And Brittany said, no, I'm going to play part of the police interview here so you can just kind of hear this exchange. These guys give you the keys to tell you to go move her car. Okay, a cop goes by and you don't flag him down. You get in the car and you drive off and park it and then come back so that they can kill you. Come on. You want me to believe that you walk down the street covered in blood. People are walking past you. No one's looking at you. It's It's 10 o'clock Friday night in Bethesda. There's people all over the place. When Brittany showed up to this interview, she actually brought one of her older brothers and older sisters with her. They were sitting outside of the room at this point, but... The brother then asked if he could speak with Brittany alone. Brittany's siblings were starting to see through the cracks and realize there's holes in Brittany's story. This is not making sense. So the detectives leave the room and we have the footage of the conversation between Brittany and her brother Chris. I'm not going to play it because the only footage of it I could find, the audio quality is really poor because the two of them are whispering. So Brittany starts by saying, can they hear us? Can they hear us? Are they recording us? And Chris says, no, no, no. I looked for cameras. I looked for microphones in the room. There's nothing. They can't hear us. I don't know if he was being serious or not, or just saying that so that Brittany would confess to him, but you're in a police interrogation room. Obviously they are recording you, but okay. So Chris starts asking, did you do this? Be honest, tell me the truth, did you do this? And she keeps saying, I don't wanna talk about it here. And then Chris starts to say, were you stealing? Did you take anything? Is that what happened? And she says, no, no, no. So this kind of says to me that she has a history of stealing in the past, I guess. And it actually turns out that she has been fired from previous retail jobs for shoplifting in the past. I guess Chris was trying to get it out of her, like, is that what happened here? Like, were you stealing? Did you take something? And she denied it. She said, I don't want to talk about it here. People who knew Brittany in high school and in college actually came forward and reported that Brittany was known for stealing things, stealing from jobs, stealing from friends, stealing from teammates on her soccer team. She was just known as a fucking klepto. So this is what sealed the deal for police and they knew that she was guilty. So after more interviews and questioning, it finally came out that Jaina had caught Brittany shoplifting clothes from the store the night of March 11th, and she said that she was going to tell the manager about it the next day. So Brittany felt that there was no other way out of this but to murder Jaina to keep her mouth shut. Brittany was arrested and placed in prison awaiting trial. The trial lasted just six days, and Brittany confessed but the defense was trying to portray it as Brittany just lost control, that it was not premeditated, but it was just a sudden decision in the heat of the moment. But 
obviously this is not what happened. She left the store and then lured her back to the store with the false story of, I forgot my wallet, so she could carry out her plan. Brittany finally told the court the truth and said that she had taken a pair of Lululemon leggings and put them in her bag, and Jaina had caught her doing so. This apparently happened towards the end of their shift, and Jaina said that they'll handle this tomorrow. Let's just go home and call it a day. So the girls parted ways to go home, and this is when Jaina got the call from Brittany saying that she had left her wallet in the store. Brittany got Jaina right where she wanted her, back inside the store, and savagely attacked and murdered her. She then cut herself in several different places using a razor, and she cut open Jaina's pants as well as her own to make it appear that whoever did this also sexually assaulted them, and that was maybe a potential motive. But back at the autopsy and medical examination of Brittany, neither of them were ever sexually assaulted that night. There was no evidence of that. She then moved Jaina's car so it wouldn't draw attention, and then she came back to the store where she then tied her own wrists together with a zip tie. Then she laid in the bathroom and waited for somebody to find her. Brittany and her defense attorneys were basically pleading for the possibility of parole in her sentence. I'm going to include some quotes from the judge in this case, Judge Greenberg, because he is really the voice of the people. He says out loud what everyone in the court was thinking. He says, quote, You are one hell of a liar, ma'am. I have no doubt, Miss Norwood, that you are a deeply troubled woman. With or without parole, you will live. You will see another sunrise, you will see another sunset. It may be through a prison window, but there will be more Christmases, there will be more telephone calls, and there will be visits. The only visits that Jaina Murray will have are those to her grave. Judge Greenberg also said that in his many decades of working as a judge, he has never seen a more savage killing than this one. Brittany was, of course, found guilty of first-degree murder. Um, In January of 2012, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So today, she is 39 years old and still serving her time in the Maryland Correctional Institute for Women, where she will remain until she dies. So fuck you, Brittany Norwood. You are exactly where you belong, and I hope this haunts you every fucking day. In honor of Jaina and her memory, her family has created the Jaina Murray Foundation, that aims to provide scholarships and financial aid to students and institutions that support basically everything that she loved. It goes towards academics, athletics, and fine arts. So that is the infamous Lululemon murder and the horribly tragic death of Jaina Murray. It was just so senseless. Like I said in the beginning, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was murdered over a pair of leggings. 
She was murdered over a pair of stolen leggings. That is so depraved and senseless, I can't even begin to explain it. So I feel so terrible for Jaina Murray. She had so much life ahead of her. She was just weeks away from graduation. It's just, it's so sad. I hope I didn't ruin your Tuesday too badly. I hope you hated the story just as much as I did, but I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. Bye.